As a podcast listener, you may already be integrated in the world of media technology, but psychologists are continuously trying to figure out how and why people use devices like smartphones or activity trackers. These devices monitor our moods, our activity, and they can spur more engagement with others. In this episode, we speak with one psychologist who applies psychological science to interactive and mobile media technology, an area of research that is constantly changing as the platforms become more sophisticated and much more interactive. I'm Audrey Hamilton, and this is Speaking of Psychology. Pamela Rutledge is director of the Media Psychology Research Center, and she teaches and designs media psychology courses at Fielding Graduate University. She is also active as a consultant, speaker, and researcher on applying psychological science to interactive technology and social media. She is editor-in-chief of the online journal Media Psychology Review. Welcome, Dr. Rutledge. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. First of all, tell us a little bit about your area of expertise, which is media psychology. What does a media psychologist do, and what do you do as director of the Media Psychology Research Center? Well, media psychology is fundamentally using the tools of psychology to think about media and technologies. So it's really using that in an applied way. And at the Media Psychology Research Center, we work with a number of media projects applying the fundamentals of psychology to help companies and organizations and even individuals understand how to better design, develop, and teach about media and technology. There's a lot of interest in how new technologies are affecting our behavior. Steve here, one of the producers of the podcast, he wears his Fitbit every day. I see you have one as well. And he competes with other people to get the greatest number of steps. So in a study of one, this would seem to indicate he's improving his health with this technology. Is this something psychologists are studying or using to monitor people's behaviors and how so? Yes, it is. I mean, there's a lot of research going on right now, what we call the quantified self, where people are using wearable technologies to get information that they use to motivate themselves to make judgments about their performance. But a really critical part of this is the social connection. So there's a lot of competition. I wear the jawbone up, not the Fitbit, oh, but okay. <laughs> my team includes my daughters. And so we're always comparing where did you walk? How much did you walk? And it's really fun to get a yay mom mm-hmm. at the, after you've got, done some exercising. What about tracking people's moods? Stepping away from the exercising, but to moods. But smartphones track people's movements, and some researchers at Northwestern University were able to show that people who moved less during the day were more depressed or could be more depressed. How do you think smartphones are going to change how we track or monitor people's moods and mental health as well, we I move think- forward? It won't just be smartphones that are changing. I think that it's going to be a lot more integration of technology. We have to remember that there really isn't a separation between our mind and our body. So it makes perfect sense that we would start tracking mood in addition to our physical behavior. Uh, My colleague, Dr. Jerry Lynn Hogg, and I have just recently begun research with a product called Spire, which measures your breath as a way of uh, recording your stress level. And that's integrated back into your steps and onto your phone, so it gives you indicators of are you moving and are you breathing and, and your relative stress level. And that's just one of many applications, and I think we're really at the forefront of these interesting applications that provide triggers to make behavior change. Do you think psychologists could use apps like these when looking for ways to help their clients? I don't know if that's anything that you study, but 
I'm just curious as to where do you take this knowledge? Well, I think you can take the knowledge a lot of ways. I mean, one is that it's very individually empowering. So people have now a new tool in their own arsenal to make change on their own behalf. But it's also a very effective way to work with clinicians, coaches, and therapists. Uh, an application that I've been using is the Heart Lab, or Heart Math rather, which allows you to measure your heart rate in conjunction with your breathing as a mechanism for getting better mind-body coherence. So similar to meditation, but it's a way of showing your therapist the track record that you're keeping and she can then work with you on the mental triggers that are disrupting your thought patterns, causing you stress, causing you distress, and the things that actually improve that. You've been a media psychologist for a while. I, I'm wondering, with all this new technology is coming out, and it seems like it's coming out constantly, is it making your job more interesting or to, where you, what you're able to, to, to learn and, and use the technology? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it makes it fascinating, and it also makes it just, I'm absolutely able to justify the purchase of any piece of technology <laughs> at all because I just tell my husband, oh, honey, I have to study this. Uh, but... Sure, it, it does two things. One is that it keeps us very on the ball because we're continually figuring out what are the affordances or the attributes of any particular piece of technology and how are we mapping that back to psychological theory? Because as you know, it's not really about the tools, it's about human behavior and emotions and how we're wired. And so if we understand those fundamentals, then we have the ability to evaluate all this new technology. The bad thing is, Every semester, I have to rewrite my syllabuses because <laughs> yes. I need to keep the content up to date. Yes. I, overall, and this is, you hear this often in the media, I, you know, there's a sense that social media and emerging technologies are changing people, making them more narcissistic, self-involved. You, know, you said that you think they are making people more empathetic and responsible for other people's well-being. Can you, can you explain why you think that? Can you give some examples? I believe that people are becoming more empathetic because this connectivity and social media are allowing them to see other people globally in a way that they've never been able to see before. I know a lot of people are worried about things like narcissism, but I think that's overstated. What is important is that people understand the benefits of technology and where they need to establish limits. You know, offline, we have all these patterns of behavior that we know how to take care of ourselves, self-care, but we now have to learn how to do this in this new environment. We have to extend our living space, so to speak, into the online arena. So we have to learn how to set online boundaries. We have to learn how to respond to things. The Red Cross was able to raise $5 million within 24 hours after the Haitian earthquake. That's an extraordinary amount of participation. Now, while some people might call, have referred to that as slacktivism, saying that they're not really involved, the fact that people have that awareness that they were willing to participate in that small bit means that they're going to be much more sensitive to future calls so that they're aware of other people in need and they'll be much more liable to help. It also empowers the giver because now there are all these kinds of ways where people can make a difference in very small ways. That sense of agency is going to make people much more willing to participate. So I think this idea that everyone has become totally self-focused is exactly wrong. Hmm. So I think that we have a misconception of 
the dangers of technology. That's not to say there aren't problems. There are. It's important to have training. But we don't want to overstate the problems because we don't want to miss the benefits because there's tremendous upside. Well, Dr. Rutledge, thank you so much for joining us. This was a fascinating conversation. It's my pleasure. For more information on Dr. Rutledge's work and to hear more episodes, please go to our website, speakingofpsychology.org. With the American Psychological Association's Speaking of Psychology, I'm Audrey Hamilton.